Hello and welcome to Bullet Points, a podcast where we talk about games that have guns in them and what we think about games that have guns with them. Uh, I'm Reed McCarter. I am joined by Ed Smith. Hello. And the man so nice that gave him two first names, Patrick Lindsay. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm great, thank you. Patrick? I am uh, I'm equally, equally fair. You're equally fair. I was going to say you're fair. So we, uh, this time we did Deus Ex Human Revolution, Eidos Montreal's Deus Ex Human Revolution, um, which is a shooter, believe it or not, even if there's also lots of kicking and punching and playing with computers in it, it's still a shooter in our books. So just to get things going... I, I, I appreciate that our main criteria for a game being a shooter is that we just say it's a shooter. Well, it's a shooter. I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you want me to do? I did a lot no, of shooting. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. There mm-hmm. were a lot of guns. You pick up guns. Mm-hmm. Enemies walk see, around with you guns. You see many more guns. There were a large variety of guns, too. Yeah. It's, pr- it's pretty gun-heavy, generally. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. future. Guns yeah. are only going to become more... More ubiquitous. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. I guess. We uh, could... Sorry, you could say it's not the future; it's the future. Wow, you could say Thanks. that. Thanks. Oh, I'm going to go now. That's all I was here for. Cheers. That's actually the, the new tagline for the entire podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the future of video game podcast. <laughs> the future of game criticism. Yeah, we're not we're not talking about the present or the blast. We're talking uh, about the future. Uh, uh. <laughs> Oh, you need to stop. Sorry, sorry. Do they, do they teach you that growing up in in English in the yeah, English education take, system? The pun we course. Take he, puns one one in, in, in his pun class. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so let's get let's move away from uh, that terrible stuff and mm. talk about this game. Um, I guess the big general question is: the nebulous. Did you like it? Well, or what let's, did you let's, think? Let's about actually it? back up and tell our listeners at home what Human Revolution is. Okay. And how it may or may not be similar to other games that we'll look at on this podcast. Well, I don't understand exactly what you mean, so I'm going to let you do. Well, that. Cause, I mean, because it's uh, it's a shooter, and it's a first like it's a first person perspective game. There are lots of guns, but in terms of player interaction, the emphasis tends to be a lot more, it's like a choose-your-path game and it's like yeah. very obviously a choose-your-path game which we'll get into later, I'm sure Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if if people don't know, the premise is that you're you know, a future future cop future robot cop, robocop if you will um, sneaking around, trying to expose corporate secrets and I think we'll get to this later too find out who stole your girlfriend Mm. Um, I love that that's like the primary motivating factor for the protagonist. The game's got a pretty good plot, but it does kind of boil down to who stole your girlfriend, Adam Jensen. This is probably racing ahead a little bit, but I think one of my kind of key gripes with the Deus Ex Human Revolution is that it does sort of portend to these quite lofty themes of transhumanism and the future, and what does it mean to be a person, but at its core is another game about a white man with guns trying to save a woman. Yeah, white um, pain. Yeah, it's white pain, exactly. She's a good rap name. 
<laughs> yeah, that's I'm taking that one. Hmm. Good thing we pre-record this so I can release my EP before this goes live. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess the the plot setup is it's it's 2027 or something like that, I believe, uh-huh. and you know people have started to. Uh, essentially bolt on these mechanical augmentations to themselves that make them, you know, essentially superhumans. You can be better at talking to people, you can be better at, I don't know, hacking computers, be better at mm. shooting people. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all commercially available. <laughs> Again, this kind, of, this kind of brings back, I think, to if we're, if we're going to start the discussion by talking about mechanics, you know, and it is largely a shooting and sneaking game. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that the sort of literature of human revolution is compromised because it's, again, sort of masquerading as a fairly sweeping conversation about, you know, augmentations and putting things in your body and becoming man plus, but everything that you get is more or less geared towards shooting and fighting. Yeah, it's, killing people. Yeah, it's not it's not like transhuman in a kind of we're improving our brains and becoming like intelligent and, and higher cognitions. It's we've got arms that can punch through walls now. Which is interesting because I obviously I have a reputation for not being charitable with elements of games that I find, for lack of a better word, uh, stupid. Um, but what was pointed out to me was that if you listen in the opening exposition, they talk about how augmentation was, was originally explored and developed as a means to like improve the workforce because you could have mm. people who could like lift more things on construction jobs or something like that um, which was cool except for the fact that they kind of lampshaded that and then the entire rest of the game is all about like military development mm. yeah and I think uh, yeah I don't know let's get I, I guess we should just get right into that kind of stuff because uh, it's the most interesting rather than try to summarize the plot that you can look up right. on Wikipedia. Or don't mm-hmm. don't even listen to this if you haven't played it. Like, what are you doing? Isn't that, isn't that <laughs> fair well, let's, to say? Let's not get too hasty, Reed. No, actually, listen to it no matter what, because we're yeah. talking... Listen to it while you're playing it. Yeah, and just over and over and over <laughs> for 25 hours. Um, like, they they pay a lot of lip service to, um, to the themes that I think that they really they want to bring them further forward than they actually do when you're playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like what you were saying, Patrick, about like, I didn't even find that part um, about like the you know, improving the workforce. But they mm-hmm. do have little things like in the intro when you're walking through the lab where your main character works. Um, you see like a, an army general coming in to have something shown to him. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're saying we're going to change the world. You know, Adam goes... You know, in Batman voice, he says, like, you know, it just looks like it's going to be more ways to kill people. You know, yeah. and and so they, I, I feel like they're aware to a certain extent of of that they're kind of showing one slice of this with what you do in the game, but I don't know if they do a good enough job of, of showing everything. Like, it's the Bioshock problem again, where a lot of the most interesting stuff about the world is kind of up to you to uh, to find or not. Mm-hmm. I I've not played the game myself with the I think the the sort of what is it like the director's cut edition comes with um, yeah. comes with the director's commentary and you can play the entirety of the game with like these little kind of commentary hubs um, but a friend of mine played it that way uh, recently and I was speaking to him earlier in the week and from what I understand a vast amount of the game was cut 
oh, and, really? recut, and recut and stitched together. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people speaking on this commentary are referring to the fact that you know this doesn't make sense, or we didn't get a chance to flesh this out so much because there was a lot of time constraints and things like that, and there was a lot of cuts. Um, which I think the effects of that are twofold. One, that yeah, you you do end up with this quite militaristic view of transhumanism and, and whatever loftier themes the game is shooting for, and also that a great deal of the sort of exposition and, and discussion in the game is uh, confined to writing, like magazines that you find or like books yeah. that you pick up, and, um, and the emails and and emails, yeah. And as much as it's a product of you know production constraints and as much as I can sort of sympathise and okay that's not your fault necessarily blah blah um, I've always found that stuff very sort of lazy and and uninspired just to kind of lump all of your politics into like a read me file essentially um, is something that I find quite disagreeable about the game yeah yeah and I wonder because I think they they the game does a pretty good job of, of bringing that stuff up uh, if you're being very thorough about looking mm-hmm. for it and you're paying mm-hmm. attention for it. Uh, but there are moments where it kind of comes to the fore of the plot in a way where I kept thinking, you know, if you hadn't been sort of looking through every nook and cranny, like there's a, a big story beat later on where there starts being riots in Detroit essentially about people saying that uh, you know it's not it's not fair that some people can afford to have these augmentations and essentially excel in, in the work in the workplace and uh, other people can't afford them so they're getting you know the the gap is becoming wider and wider and these riots break out but I think they don't really give you enough of that in the main plot to show why that sort of thing starts happening mm. it's I mean it's all very forced um the kind of the central climax of the game i guess is there's a guy who is responsible for inventing augmentation technology and then he creates this chip that lets him broadcast a signal that makes all the augmented people go crazy and it's just like game like uh, large-scale modern games in general but this game in particular just cannot at all do nuance in any way whatsoever like they just can't do subtlety and I think that was just a perfect example of that. Is it's just like everything is either hunky dory or like there's literal riots happening in the streets. I think there's there's one really great example of subtlety. I think there's one section in the game where they they if I was sort of making the game and I wanted to pitch you know, pitch it to somebody who had money and say you know this is what we want to do. This is the this is the part that I I choose to show, which is when you first return to Adam slash your apartment. And that set, that kind of room, is yeah. really sort of nicely laid out. Not just in that sort of quite artificial environmental narrative sense, as in you walk around and get a sense of the guy that you're playing, but also it's just it's a it's the most sort of tangible and sort of um, it's the part of the game you can most kind of smell. And I think that that environment, that apartment, really does kind of sell through the sort of subtle qualities of of the world and of the game's sort of tone and uh, again like literature and themes and stuff you can get a lot of it from just that apartment I think that that sequence is really well done um, yeah, I, yeah I thought one part that was striking even about uh, when you mentioned that apartment is one of the really good details is 
you know, at some point later on, you find a newspaper that says, you know, it's very expositiony. It's, you know, it says it's the year 2027, and corporations are more powerful than nation states now. And it's like, okay, well, you know, thank you for telling me that. But it's interesting when you go back to his apartment for the first time, you know, and you see that he's he's smashed in his mirror because he's mm-hmm. obviously, you know, kind of conflicted about the fact that because Adam essentially dies at the beginning of the game and, and like RoboCop, he's like brought back to life without without his permission basically by by them, you know, fixing him with mechanical parts. But there's that smashed in mirror, so it kind of shows that he doesn't really have autonomy over his own body at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And the corporation that he works for is a security guard. You know, you see in one of his emails that they have bought, or they rent his apartment for him, and they pay for his apartment. And so you get this sense when you're in there that he's very, you know, he doesn't have sort of his own, uh, I don't know, he doesn't have individual will that much anymore. And that's a lot more... Mm -hmm. You know, it gives you that impression a lot more subtly than something mm-hmm. like a newspaper and that just says corporations are powerful. That I do agree with, and I mean, I've actually talked about this in other pieces I've written before, where um, Adam is essentially a pit bull for Seraph, which is his boss. Yep. Um, in a very real, like, literal sense, Seraph Corporation made him, quote-unquote, um, and throughout the game, especially toward the beginning when you're kind of when they're setting up the plot most of your missions are coming from your boss and he's like all right adam i need you to go here and take care of this and your character is often like well isn't that illegal and he's like yeah so and it just kind of highlights what you're saying the fact that he's more than anything a tool for this company um which i think more than any of the actual like expository plot beats especially from later on in the game does a better job of kind of driving home the theme of like basically slavery to corporate America and lack of autonomy. There's a really nice sort of other... uh, In keeping with that idea, there's another really nice uh, bit of sort of set dressing in his apartment. You'll notice that Adam's sort of pet project is he's building an aqualabe, like a sort of water-powered clock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's kind of parts of that all over his desk. And I think that that's a really nice image in, in the sense that it's a clock and it has mechanical parts, but it's a water clock, so it's kind of running on organic power. And you've got this, you know, an aqualabe is a sort of really interesting mix of, like, you know, organic and, and machine, same as Adam, and, you know, his sort of conflict of, am I just this company's property or am I, you know, an individual... Etc. Etc. Yeah, I, I I think it all ties into that apartment scene. Well, they do a lot of that. Like when you're what you're saying, Ed, with the sort of that uh, the model showing the mix between mechanical and organic. That stuff is, I think, established very very well, uh, just in the like the audio visual design of that game. Mm. Like the music, I think, is one of the best parts of the game, and yeah. it has yeah, these. It's the fan. It's like the main the main theme that you hear I think when you load up the game and it kind of comes in at crucial moments uh, is sort of like these synthesizer arpeggios going but then it has these uh, you know so it's very cold and sterile sounding and then you know you have like these strings coming in and horns and it's it gives you this great thing of you know sort of subconsciously it's very human sounding like sort of very mm-hmm. old sounding and also very you know kind of calls back to like an 80s version of the future and it's 
I, I think that stuff's really well done. Hmm. You know. Yeah, I I I think that. You know, again, I'm probably rushing ahead here, but I think that there's a really interesting. I I, I don't think the game is very well written. I think there's. No, it's not. There's lots of exposition, not just in the sense of picking up magazines, but if you go and accept a side quest, there's like always a long, long, long conversation about this is what you've got to do, and this is why, and this is what will happen if you do it. And then when you finish a side quest, there's always like this really long debrief of, oh, you did that? Okay, well, that's going to make this happen, and now you're a good guy. There's always like really lots and lots and lots of conversations that are quite functional and, and prosaic. Um, but I think that the game does a, a, an interesting job of neither sort of denigrating or celebrating the idea of transhumanism or, or the society that the, the game takes place within. It's kind of, it's a very sort of half and half, we're not there yet kind of world where certain sort of facets of the transhuman ideal have, have sort of been imbibed and, and are very much alive uh, and other facets of it are, are not there. Um, the way I kind of think of it is... Um, the sort of transhuman idea of yeah we can have like cool limbs and cool arms and we can have all this like great technology that means we can I don't know read the paper without doing so much as kind of opening our eyes or blah blah all that stuff is there they've got that the sort of cool dry commercial technological advances of a transhuman society but the the subtle more ingrained harder to reach social uh, the more inert aspects of a transhuman society i.e everyone sort of united social disparity being mm-hmm. reduced uh, everyone having sort of opportunity everyone being able to sort of make themselves more intelligent make themselves more able to find a job make themselves sort of maybe even down to things like you know healing disabilities or or transhuman technology being able to help people who can't have children to have children that stuff hasn't really arrived yet or at least no, it's not re- yeah. it's not it's not represented in the game so it's a transhuman I mean, sorry I, I, Patrick. sorry go, go ahead no, that's right. I was about to finish. It, it, it's a transhuman society in a very sort of superficial way, in the sense that well, we've all got this cool technology. Right. It's, it exists in the same that same sort of military industrial context that most thematic elements of games exist in, whereby it's it's a very physical and very kind of visceral Uh-oh. application of these technologies. Um, whereas if, like, I don't know, I'm a big sci-fi literature dork, and one of the things I think is really important when it comes to world building and storytelling is you should ask the question why all these things exist, why the things that you're creating exist. And if you look at where quote-unquote transhumanism is going just even today, you've got things like wearable tech and Google Glass and all that stuff, and it's, it's more playing into people's, you know, socioeconomic posturing more than is playing into some guy's desire to be able to like punch through a concrete wall or something Mm. yeah and yeah I wonder because I think they do actually do some pretty interesting stuff with that but you know again it's kind of up to you to notice it and find it Mm. and so I it's it's difficult because I completely agree with with what you're saying but I think they're it does pull off somehow it does pull off some fairly uh, consistent vision of, of what its future is and sort of what the world looks like for people um, I don't know I'm kind of losing my, my train of thought no, on that but like, I, I, I think that's true I think it is consistently sort of dour and a quite pessimistic future 
and um, yeah I think it is a world where rather than uh, like bridging social gaps or sort of financial gaps this technology is being used to, to extend them um, and I think you've got a really great example of that insofar as like if you talk to some people out in the streets of Detroit they've got not just uh, prosthetic limbs but they've had them like gold plated yeah. and like bejeweled yeah. and stuff and, and they've become very much sort of status symbols as opposed to sort of meaningful tools for improving social compact or anything like that um, yeah I think it's, it, it, it is consistent I just I don't I'm not particularly sort of um, entertained or sort of enthralled by the way it's written it's very 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 just long winded mm-hmm. yeah absolutely like I a lot of the best stuff you get from it I think is just spending time in that world um, mm. kind of getting the atmosphere and, and kind of looking at how the, the spaces and the cities are portrayed but then once you actually go on the main missions, you know, it's a, lo- a lot of it's kind of like it's satisfying to play, you know, which I think gets it pretty far. Um, but the story beats are pretty, I don't know. It, it does get worse as it goes along, too. It does, yeah. I think that's because they have a fairly simple kind of design feedback loop that they have to stretch out over, you know, 20 hours or so. Right. Um, and I think the fact that they are going for the whole choose-your-path thing seriously restricts what they're able to do in terms of level design. Mm. Um, because you, what ends up happening is you end up getting a lot of spaces that are completely unrealistically designed with, like, random air ducts and vents that go completely nonsensical places that are just there for you to use them. Yeah. Well, that, that that ties into another of my central complaints with it is that you know you are transported to the Detroit of the twenty twenties and Henshaw and Montreal and whatever. But all even like the exterior spaces, they just feel like interiors with the roof taken yeah. off. You know, yeah. And they're they're very kind of airless and dead and. I I never apart from in that section in Jensen's apartment. I never feel like I'm sort of there. I can't sort of um, touch or, or empathise with that place whatsoever. It does feel like an extremely automated. I mean, yeah. Some, I mean, so, somebody the, will the say thing that's is the point. For, for as like open and alive as the world is that they're trying to create, um, you can walk around Detroit and you'll see people on the corners and you'll see cars in the street but there's really no sense of motion or life everything is just kind of sitting there yeah it's almost like yeah. you're walking through a diorama yeah no one's talking to each other and the one thing that always irks me about the detroit uh environment particularly is you walk through that underground subway over and over and over again and it's always yeah. the same group of breakdancers yeah, yeah to the same music doing the same moves and it really st- sticks out um, well, if they yeah. just had someone playing steel drums or a pan flute, they would be realistic if they were there constantly. Or just just remove them after your kind of third trip through or something. I, you know, I, yeah. No, I I see that. Like it, uh, that didn't take a ton away from me. Even though I, you know, I do agree. It's it's it almost feels like a like a theme park or something where it's this is the atmosphere we're trying to convey these are the characters mm. who inhabit these spaces 
you know, but there's, I, I think this carries on through the whole game, too, and it's part of, I think, why I found it satisfying to play, is everything felt very sort of clockwork, and um, nothing feels real in it, you know, your brain allows you to, uh, to, to fill in the blanks, but it's all very um, sort of artificial. Hmm. I mean, I don't want to give off the impression that I'm expecting everything to be, you know, architecturally accurate, but I think I mentioned this last time when we were talking about this game, just the fact that every computer and lock in the entire world has the exact same interface, mm. or like, I don't know, it's just the little things, and when you're, normally I don't care, but when you're trying to build your game on a foundation of like this huge open atmosphere and environment, and then there are all these little niggles, it just kind of reminds you that they're trying and failing to do this particular thing. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Um, like there's there's one mission early on where you have to there's an antenna that's broadcasting an interference signal on top of like a gang hideout. Yep. So you have mm. to sneak your way through like the basement of this building and make it to the roof and then deactivate the antenna. And then as soon as you do, your like pilot comes in and flies in and picks you up from the roof. And I was just thinking like why couldn't they have just dropped me off here? Mm. And I would have just flipped the switch, and we'd be on our way. Yeah, it's it's yes. um, it's definitely a very uh, it's a terrible way to describe it, but it's a very gamey game. Yeah, you know, it's, no, it's, it's very gamey. The kind of context for taking you around, I, I think, to be honest, in general, uh, in terms of the way that it's structured, it it always feels to me extremely sort of patchwork and sort of marked in the sense of stealth section with capital letters. Hacking with capital letters, mm-hmm. dialogue, with capital letters. Like it's it's very kind of clink clonk, clink clonk. It's not. Yeah. It, it doesn't flow. It's it's really not fluid. Like you're literally airlifted from place to place, um, and it 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 does feel extremely sort of yeah, just just clunky and sort of clipped together, as opposed to sort of running like water or anything or like a like a decent piece of writing. Um, and that that really kind of makes me enjoy it a lot less. Yeah, see, like that that didn't get in the way for me too much, and it kind of makes me I I see that. So I don't know. I wonder if it's personal preference on my part on just the sort of I was over to overlook it for other things I was getting out of it. I'm also wondering too. Like, did you do you guys have experience with the original Deus Ex? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, some. I've kind of. But neither of you are like you know hardcore love that no. game kind of people. No, 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 no. nothing like that. Yeah, because that's similar for me, and I, you know, I wonder to a certain extent. You know, it, it doesn't apply in this case, but I always think of this in terms of games that try, you know, that are so obviously trying to capture the spirit of something that that went before. Well, in a sense, Bioshock is the same thing. It's Bioshock is to System Shock 2 what Human Revolution was to Deus Ex. Mm-hmm. And I think in both cases, the newer versions were successful in a lot of ways, and then the older versions were successful in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, I think both in the case of System Shock 2 and Deus Ex, the newer incarnations are infinitely more playable. Because mm-hmm. um, you don't have, like, skill points to invest in things and... Oh, that's terrible. Well, you do, but it's kind of, I think, a little bit less... Uh, it's streamlined. Yeah, it's it's not going to punish you so much if you if you do it the wrong way, which is something mm. I love. That's that's one of the problems I have with 
some older games that have that kind of system. I I still struggle to you know I I don't know if I kind of call Deus Ex Human Revolution playable in the kind of complementary sense. Like it's um I think there's a real struggle between I like the fact that your character dies quite easily and you're you're really frail but yeah but then they kind of drop like 50 guys into a level and like combat just isn't an option right? I I don't I don't think it's a combat game I think if you get into a fight in that game you're you're either lucky or dead you've done something wrong yeah, yeah that was actually my next wrong. question is how many of you actually played it like a shooter yeah See, I want to I get never to that played too. it like a shooter I, ne- I never ever I never approached that game like a shooter. It was always a stealth game. Yeah, it was just toward the very end where I couldn't, uh, you know, I just wanted to get going. And they, mm. you know, it's like all games that have stealth in them do, where they make it, you know, as tricky as they possibly can. And I just didn't really care to mm. to engage with that at that point. Yeah. So I kind of just blasted away dudes. Well, um, they make stealth a negative thing. Stealth is the action of, or the absence of action. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're playing like a shooter, you're actively doing something. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I, I imagine you could play it as a as a pure shooter, but I don't know how much how enjoyable that would be. Purely mm-hmm. because I think the level design is is uh, kind of encourages you to sneak around or at least kind of set traps and avoid people. Yeah, and it definitely. I mean it doesn't necessarily punish you for not doing so but it certainly rewards you if you are able to find the hidden entrance or whatever right it, it literally rewards you like you get those little yeah. pop-ups saying like you know yeah. i can't remember what the little things are but yeah like ghost or explorer that's the one yeah, yeah. If, you, if you find the sort of contrary routes or the, well they're probably not the contrary routes they're the, the routes that you're meant to take through the level really they just kind of just appear as contrary smart about it yeah yeah that uh yeah part of I wonder what I what I liked about it too is if it was just kind of uh, making me feel smart when you say it that mm. way, because I I mean I played the original Deus Ex. My memory of it isn't incredible, but uh, I it's it doesn't you know give you little pop up experience points. I don't think for kind of finding it does. Does it? Um, yeah, um, like if you find like a hidden whatever, you'll get an exploration bonus, but it's oh, okay. a couple XP. But I do remember in that one, it felt a lot more sort of in the way that a lot of uh, you know, sort of turn of, the, turn of the century computer games. Is it really mm-hmm. turn of the century? Um, yeah, but 2001 I think it was. Yeah. I thought it was 2000, I think. Could be, yeah. It's a, he- yeah anyway. it's a heady time. Um, mm. But uh, games like that, it almost feels like you're when you're sort of... Uh, trying to think of the best way to put this, but it's almost like you're jerry-rigging together solutions to get through mm-hmm. things when you're when you're properly sneaking around. You know, when you're tossing mm-hmm. boxes at something so you can make a little space to climb up. And this one is a lot more, you know, streamlined and... Uh, it's very broadcast. Yeah, you never have a hard time. Like, I, whenever I would go into a new area and think, well, I don't want to alarm these dudes. So, you would usually just look at a you know, a bunch of boxes in a corner, and know that if you move them away, there would be a vent or a ladder. Mm. Um, so it kind of takes away a little bit of. I don't know. I like that in a certain sense because, like, like you were saying, it it makes you feel smart. You know, mm. it it rewards <laughs> you for essentially just, you know, not being a complete 
doofus and just shooting all over the place. I feel that way about human revolution generally, really, is that it, it makes you feel smart, not just in the sense of, hey, I sneak past all those guys, aren't I clever? But um, sort in of terms a, of the... Like a thematic sense, too? Or yeah, story. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's... it's I, quite pseudo intellectual I mean I, I, I sound like such a snob and a real smug prick saying that but um, yeah I, I think it you know what I think it's it's a really really intelligent triple A shooter game yeah um, I wonder if our like, bar like is a little bit low for that too I, yeah, I don't perhaps. know I see, I see where you're coming from but there's a lot of stuff about it that really bothered me especially about the ending um, like the ending, they lost me completely. Yeah, the ending I think was um, pretty bad. I mean, I want to get mm. to the ending in a second, but one thing also because I know Patrick, like you were saying, you've read a lot of sci-fi, right? Or mm-hmm. have you read a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, like cyberpunk? Yeah, because yeah. I'm kind of like I don't have a ton of experience with with cyberpunk stuff either. I've you know, and one of my issues is this game kind of uses the cyberpunk setting as as like. It wears it like an outfit without really paying attention to the actual tenets of the genre, which is, I guess you could say, intellectual elitist bullshit, but we can break that down if we need to further. Yeah, we may need to. But do you mean, because um, I've read, what's the big William Gibson one? Uh, uh, Neuromancer. Yeah, I've read that and, you know, uh, I've read like that Ghost in the Shell comic, and, you know, so I haven't read much. Um, but I know a lot of the themes are sort of, you know, the power of, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong probably, which is why I want, you know, you guys, if you have more experience in cyberpunk, to correct me, but sort of like the power of uh, ingenuity and sort of scrappy uh, underdogs being ahead of the curve, ahead of, yeah, you know, kind of like corporate using power. Yeah, against itself. Yeah, do you think it? Do you think it does that at all? Like it does a lot of. Well, not not really, because again, like Adam is exactly a product of Serif Industries. Um, like they made him, and everything that he does is in service to them or whatever. Other, like literally, the Illuminati makes an appearance in this game just to give people just a level of where we're at. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and then the the ending was kind of the point at which I was like, alright, they just totally missed the mark, just because the whole point of the game from what I was able to, to see is that regardless of what's right and what's wrong and who's got you know, science or whatever on their side, ultimately these corporations are going to do whatever they want um, and even in the face of like a mass murder conspiracy there really isn't anything you can do, but then at the end they're just like, alright, well you, you one single person who is working in service of this machine, so to speak. You can decide the future of humanity just by whether or not you choose to tell them the truth about what happened on this island that nobody has ever heard of. Mm. Yeah, mm. that mm. that definitely felt contrived. Um, it, just, it doesn't feel... You're right, Patrick. It doesn't feel, I think, in any way honest because all of the companies and all of the sort of corporate forces in that game are established throughout as sort of immovable... Yeah, they're, they're they're gods basically. And I, you see, and I think that if they'd kept it that way, then there's a sort of vaguely interesting, you know, discussion of you can never beat the system. Sorry, like I think that's quite a 
in some ways honest kind of thing to say but yeah to then suggest that just by releasing the information of this one event oh yeah you could bring the whole thing down that doesn't ring true at all it's it's just like the the fact that all that was required for evil to be stopped was that we just didn't know it was actually happening I thought was kind of absurd yeah absolutely yeah um but the thing that's kind of irritating is that it's probably about halfway through the game where it kind of starts nosediving because Mm. it does start approaching something interesting when you know there's stuff that conversations that um Jensen can have with uh, his boss Seraph, where he starts to kind of defy him a bit more, and he starts to kind yeah. of the plot kind of suggests that maybe you're moving in a way where, you know, you're realizing that your company is not a good company; they're not doing essentially great things. So maybe you want to move away from them and, and start acting on your own. But then it kind of it does away with that as it goes on. It also loses. Uh, focus of its main plot pretty substantially as it like in the back half of the game. Mm. Um, I, yeah, it kind of becomes basically just your search for your ex girlfriend. Yeah, I, I think there's there's the more interesting choice than the one given at the end of the game because the one given at the end of the game is basically which button do you want to push and which cutscene do you want to see at the end, right? Right. Um, but I think there is that. I can't remember exactly where it comes in the game. I think it's the second time you go to Henshaw, and it's you're kind of told that you know there's these people who are having problems with their augmentations, and if you want to prevent that from happening to you, you can go and get this additional chip put in you, which will solve these problems. And you can decide whether to go and get that done or or not. And I like that. I like that you have the the choice, and it's more of a physical action in the sense that if you want to do it, you have to actually walk to the clinic and go through the um, sort of installation process. And I like that moment as a choice of, you know, so are you going to sort of do what you're told and, you know, sort of become more a part of the system by having even more machinery put in you? Or are you, in this at least this small way, not do that? I think that's that's a kind of one of the, the game's sort of more interesting and, and, and better moments. But it's still that binary of, you know, uh, either support the system wholesale or bring it all down, and you can bring it all down. And it um, does also directly correlate to, like, a specific player-benefiting action later, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, isn't there a boss fight where... Yeah. Isn't that how it plays out? So, You're either yeah, if you, if, you, if you get the upgrade... She like flips a switch and it basically deactivates all of your stuff. So you have to, you don't have access to any of your augmentations. Um, like you can't even hack a door. Um, or if you don't get it, then it just plays out as normal. Right. Well, that's a shame. I think it it always cheapens sort of moral or narrative decisions if they've got some sort of gameplay benefit or deficit. Like I I, I hate that. Yeah. Um, uh, that makes me think too of of something. I feel like a real jerk because I can't remember who wrote it, uh, but an article about um, sort of games needing to introduce more plot points that don't go anywhere, that are pure, yeah. purely for, you know, just to show you that this world, you know, that there are things going on in this world, or maybe just to put something in your head that's going to inform how you uh, take in the rest of the story. Um, yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, and it would have been great yeah. if that chip thing was just. You know, and I think it's interesting too because it's also laid out as sort of an objective. So, mm. you know, do you do you want to do it because you feel like it needs to be done? You know, because something's telling you to do it, or do you just kind of leave it alone? 
mm. and maybe the game just keeps going you know but it is it is it is a sad reduction like uh, in for something like Fallout or whatever where you're presented at the start of the game with that guy Butch who's like under attack and you can save him or not and you kind of just implicitly know that if you save him later down the line you'll get something back and what you get back is yeah. he'll provide you with a free haircut or whatever whenever you want one which is like a, it, you know it, it's a small and sort of aesthetic gameplay benefit but it is a gameplay benefit it, it, yeah, it is a benefit it, nonetheless yeah. it, is, it is a prize and that just feels not like sort of writing in the sort of genuine and heartfelt sense but like game design in a quite cold and rubbish sense yeah I think that's that's sort of a larger problem with uh with game design over the last few years and I'm sure for for a while longer too is just uh, mm. an unwillingness to to not reward the player in some way for mm. everything they do you know that everything has to I think people would have been upset to play this game and if there was that you know uh, choice to get this chip or not and it didn't turn into anything I can imagine people would have been posting like what was that about why was that there <laughs> you know like this there's one good one in Dishonored that I liked where uh, you're sort of tasked with assassinating these two um, aristocratic brothers, the Pendletons. Yep. And uh, you have the choice of, you know, the, the guy who gives you the mission sort of suggests, you know, well, you can leave them alive, we just need them out of the way. So if you kind of make the extra effort to not kill them, but sort of just remove them, um, traditional gameplay narrative conceits implies that you'll get like a pat on the back and yeah they didn't die they just went away and well done you spared some lives uh, but you go back to the guy and you say yeah I didn't kill them I left them alive and he says great now we can kidnap them and we're going to cut out their tongues and send them to work down some salt mines uh, <laughs> and it's like it's, wa- yeah. it's way it's way more brutal and you think well shit I, I, I should have just killed them and I liked that I mean it's quite a sort of on the nose deliberate subversion but but you, I guess you start somewhere. Sorry. I think I think yeah, some of the exactly. story beats. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that actually just now because uh, I've actually been playing it again in Dishonored. But they do that kind of stuff where you know there are a lot of narrative problems in that game. But that's you know just a nice little way of showing like, hey man, you can't always you know you think you're being good, but it's not always going to turn out the way you want to because this mm. is a living world. You know. Mm. It's not necessarily a nice place. And I think that acceptance of lack of control is a thing that developers have a really, really hard time letting their games express because this whole idea that games, especially games where you have blades that come out of your elbows, um, are supposed to be super empowering. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the... No. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that nobody wants to say no to the player is kind of what prevents... Right. Right, which is funny because for being a game about a man-bot who can punch through walls... Man-bot. Thematically, you actually don't really have any agency or autonomy at all. Mm. And I would argue, obnoxiously, that the game is actually about coming to grips with the fact that you live in a world that's completely amoral, um, which I think is further made interesting by the fact that Adam's an ex-cop who they say left the force over a moral quandary, basically. 
Um, so when you have a guy who is established as having moral convictions that are that strong, and then you dump him in a world where his job is to basically set his moral convictions aside because his employers and the people who are paying his bills literally are keeping him alive, then I think that was an interesting setup that I would have liked to see developed further beyond just like, oh, well, now you have to decide which bad guy to kill or whatever. Yeah, mm. I think the I think the more interesting game, and I was thinking this before, too, when, when you are talking about sort of... Uh, how the same people are in the same places in Detroit and everything. And I wonder if this will... I don't know. Maybe I'm being optimistic. I would love if there was a trend away from, you know, showing off the sprawling worlds that you can create and instead, with you know, with all these different locations and instead make one area uh, a lot better realized. Because I think the yeah. stuff you're saying, Patrick, about, like, you know, uh, about his power or lack thereof... Uh, in this in this system, it would have been how much more interesting would it have been if it was set in Detroit and it's about you know, it's isn't a good way to criticize something and say well if it was like this I would like it more but I can't help but think like you know just keep it in Detroit and uh, there was so much more interesting stuff happening there. I agree like wholeheartedly that that was going to be the next thing I was going to say is that 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 game gets measurably worse when it leaves Detroit. I think Detroit is. The sort of focal point of, of all the game's um, thematic pretensions, I think that the relationship that Adam has with Sarif and with Sarif Industries is the most interesting thing about the game. And uh, you know, if it was a game that was essentially isolated to choosing whether or not to help further expand your company's interests into this city, I, that would be more interesting than saving the world or preventing this kind of outbreak of augmentations gone crazy. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think um, the sort of Jensen's apartment philosophy of isolating everything to this kind of one environment would would have served human revolution very well if it if it was just about Detroit and the company's relationship to that city. Yeah, and also, you know, I think there's. Setting setting the opening of that game in Detroit is is thematically really interesting. You know, as the former heart of uh, American industry, uh, yeah, American industry, and, and the boom, the post war boom, and you know, and now what what it is essentially a, a ruined city in a lot of ways. You know, mm. um, the, there was just a lot going on there, and I feel like they just wanted to be expansive, uh, yeah, just for the sake of it, which. You know, it's sort of understandable when you're spending, you know, three or four years making something and millions upon millions of dollars. But you know, I mean, we're we're very much in a an era where the design paradigm is how much can you do. Mm. Um, I mean, you look at games like this or like any Elder Scrolls game or Grand Theft Auto. It's all about let's make the biggest world we can. When I think it's a little frustrating because this game. Had, this game particularly had the potential to say a lot of really interesting social and political things. It just was afraid to hamstring itself. Um, it's like it can't trust itself to let players make their own decisions based on their based on their own convictions. If they want you to see that something is bad, then they have to literally tell you by making the offending person like an actual mass murderer. Like that's the level of subtlety that we're dealing with right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that it is um, it's a kind of world and level designers game in the pejorative sense in that it, 
it's given over to what can we make wow what can we build hey let's do the city that's two tiers and if you look up you can see the bottom of the and let's take it to China and Canada let's go crazy and I, I don't think it, it, it works out I, I I don't think that eighth, uh, that ethos of how much can we do yeah. mm-hmm. works here uh, at all and it doesn't in a lot of games just like technology they never asked if yeah. they should make it just if they or what uh, god damn it I messed that up <laughs> you no, spent I, so uh, much time asking whether they could they never stopped to ask if they should that's right <clears throat> that's right yeah I, I you know I think it's a game with a lot of it, it almost has the Bioshock uh, kind of backhanded compliment of it's a it's a smarter action game than most action games and whether or not that's you know I think there's a pretty low bar unfortunately in yeah in uh, especially sort of action uh, big budget action games um mm. And, but I think it's it is noteworthy in that it tries you know it's just, it's just like mm. Bioshock it's like it's it's not it really doesn't set it doesn't really accomplish what it's what it's trying to but there's I don't know you see this in so many of these these big budget games where when they're trying to get something across and, and something got fucked up along the way you know and yeah. that's what makes it admirable to me even though it's it's very very flawed I, I think it's a step in the right direction or at least a direction that is different and different in good ways mm-hmm. to the direction the games are currently on um, and I, I like I said earlier on I, I am aware that there were sort of cuts and compromises and a lot of you know um, things that perhaps prevented that game from being exactly what it could have been um, but again that story applies, I think, to most video games. Yeah. So. Well, it's uh, I think an inherent problem with with uh, how big and and messy a lot of these games are, right? Mm-hmm. That things get compromised and cut, and uh, it's, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'll be interested to play the sequel, which is out next year. Mankind divided. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case you weren't sure what it was going to be about. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see what that game is going to be. I. It seems incredibly uh, like a, a very redundant game, unless they erased what this game was and just tried again. I. I'm already slightly uncomfortable because I'm aware that the the sort of central plot setup is uh, a war, either of kind of social policy or an actual war between people who were augmented and people who were not augmented and sort of segregation of people who are augmented and not augmented and I'm personally somewhat uncomfortable with the mapping of you know kind of conversations about social class like race or gender or whatever being mapped onto white guys with technology or white guys without technology yeah this, like, this has the potential to go very wrong very quickly yeah yeah I, 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 I think if you're going to sort of try to elaborate or, or illustrate conversations about segregation and, and social divide it, there's something a bit icky about repatriating those discussions onto wealthy people who own computers um, you're sort of stealing something well it's the same sort of thing we've seen in fantasy games for years now I mean you've got quote unquote issues of race that really just have to do with like elves versus 
dwarves or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think they're it it can be done, but mm. but I do see what you're saying too, Ed. Uh, with kind of just mapping that on, and I don't know, it's it's worrisome when you, uh, especially when you think of the kind of language they've used, and I don't like to. I try not to pre-assess a game based on its marketing because mm. God knows marketing and the end result are often two different, very different things. But when they're, you know, evoking apartheid to describe their game, it's uh, <laughs> it just seems a little. Oh, that's right. They actually did that, didn't they? Yeah. What they say, mechanical apartheid, Digi- digital apartheid, or something. Yeah. Like that? yeah. Which oh just, my God, I forgot about that. It's it's the same thing where. You know the subtlety of a hammer to the head, um, mm. and very creepy. And I think the thing is, if they if they want to lean into, you know, this this idea of of struggle between, you know, social and economic classes, uh, turning it into an outright war is maybe the uh, kind of goes too far forward for you to maybe have interesting discussions about what they're showing mm. you. No, I, I think that it, it like you say, you, you don't want to pre-assess because, yeah, God knows, um, it could be very different. Um, but if we end up doing a show on mankind divided, I can expect to sort of say this again: is that they're they're trivialising it, they're trivialising that subject matter and and those questions. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if there's is there anything else about this? I feel like there. There's a lot of stuff going on in this game, and uh, you know, for all its faults, I think it is a good conversation piece. And yeah, and I think that's worth pointing out. I mean, we spent a good part of this episode talking about ways that it's done things wrong, but I think it's also, I mean, just like Bioshock in a lot of ways, it's kind of like philosophy crib notes, right? Um, which I think is, I don't say that in a derisive way. I think that's a good thing um, because we're using a lot of these same plot points and tropes that we've been hanging on to for decades and now we're actually starting to think about implications there. Um, it's clear, I think this game more than many that I've played recently is completely mired in between that how do we express a thematic message while at the same time making a quote-unquote capital VG video game. Right. Um, but I think that it's definitely worth its place in the critical discussion yeah yeah and uh again you know uh again i feel like it's it's somewhat of a low bar but i'm i'm happy uh when games when especially these big uh games that get to a lot of people have are at least trying to say something you know trying to get their audience to think in the same way that a you know if a big dumb action movie comes out but it's it's trying to address something you know i'm happy that you know just start conversations in culture about different issues i think it bears study and that's more than you can say for a lot of games that come out of the same um industry um at the same time i'm slightly reticent to let something off just because it's quote unquote asking questions right um, right. I, I think asking questions is kind of like a, a sort of argumentative Alamo. You know, it's like it's a fallback point for somebody who's just kind of can't really 
exactly defend their work. They say, well, you know, at least it's asking questions. Like asking questions is kind of what Glenn Beck purports to do when he says something sort of outrageous or, or whatever. So, like, well, I'm just trying to get people to ask questions. Um, so I'm not wholly convinced that it's kind of good just because it, it's able to sort of provoke discussion. Um, but it does provoke discussion. And there's plenty of games. I'm looking at my shelf now from where I'm sitting, and there's plenty of games where I think I'd struggle to fill an hour, you know, talking about them. Yep, yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's the low bar. I kept saying that, repeating myself, yeah. but that, that's what I mean by the sort of low bar of just, you know, even attempting. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you're looking at this game critically as a whole, you're probably going to come out a little bit more negative, but it's at least something to talk about on a podcast for an hour. It's, yeah, it's it's part of, I think, if games ever get to the point where, I don't know what point, but basically the point where, you know, they're... If games ever get to the point where we've probably got more good to say about them than bad, uh, I think if you were sort of charting a history of how that happened, Human Revolution would have to come up. Um, I think it's sort of part of a, a, a canon that will maybe one day lead to something that's genuinely very, very sort of reassuring and impressive and, and worthy. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, episode two, backhanded compliments, part two. Uh, I think we should end every single episode with uh, a score out of ten for each game. Right. Because that's well, what. That's seven, obviously. Seven. I was thinking seven. Yeah, I. For me, it's either a six point nine or a seven point one. See that th- those that point two difference is extremely important. Yeah. So I'll yeah I'll meet in the middle and just go seven. Right. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. good. I appreciate you being agreeable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't think we did this for Bioshock, so we should probably sort of retroactively. I mean, for me, Bioshock is a is a seven. I, it's a firm seven. I believe at the end um, of that episode, I did I did assign it a seven out of ten for myself. Right. Good. I mean, there's a lot to see in Bioshock, but I think overall, yeah, I'm going to have to go with a hard seven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, next episode, I think we were going to do Tomb Raider, um, as in the, the 2012 Tomb Raider reboot. Uh, I don't want to sort of rush us or anything, but I, I'm going to go with... Let me just punch this into the calculator. Uh, seven. Yeah, it's a good seven, Tomb Raider. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I was torn between the sort of 6.9 7.1 but 7.1 I, I typically reserve for something sort of with better gameplay uh, so 7 feels right well yeah I think we're going to need a little bit more replay value yeah mm-hmm. I'll have to revisit it I'm going to turn on hair physics this time I think because my my computer's a little bit better than it was when I originally played it so I, when I originally played it I was thinking it was about a 6.8 but this might yeah. get it right to 7 uh, yeah, I think the hair physics are worth of a, 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 a point two. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's our our next uh, objective game review is uh, is Tomb Raider, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And rise of the hair physics. Rise of the hair physics. Um, <laughs> and why why did we pick that one? We we kind of picked this by committee, but I think Patrick will be hosting it. So um, my understanding was a it's topical because there's another you know, Tomb Raider Rides Again or whatever yeah. coming out soon. Uh, Tomb Raider and the Last Crusade. Tomb Raider. Um, Ooh, Tomb Raider, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, 
but also um, we wanted to look at something that was third person just to show that we aren't we aren't narrow-minded and shallow individuals here on bullet points. No. Or as as we may have to change the name for next week, arrow tips. <laughs> nice again, Christ. but we are absolutely punning it up today. Yeah, uh, what a nightmare. Second one. It's absolutely great. I think this is a two-part podcast. Maybe I think I'm out. Uh, he just gives up. Read, read quits. Yeah, I'm through with this. If, if we were an historical figure, we would be Attila the Pun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that Thanks. is bullet points for, for this week. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Goodbye slash I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, let's let's sign off. Uh, Patrick, where can people find your whatever whatever you do? Whatever I'm doing, whatever I occupy my time yeah. with. Um, I'm trying to freelance a little bit more now, so there's a higher probability that you'll see me online. Uh, just check my Twitter at Han Freaking Solo. Anytime I do anything, I will talk about it there incessantly, so you will be sure to not miss that's it. That's true. So that's why we call him Patrick Three Quarter Twitter Feed Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, that's what everyone calls me <laughs> in real life too. Ed, Edward Smith. Uh, similarly, I am available for comment via Twitter uh, at Most Sincerely Ed. I feel like I need to use this podcast to point something out about that Twitter hashtag because I chose it after I'd watched uh, The Wizard of Oz which I studied as part of my film studies degree and in The Wizard of Oz one of the munchkins sings about the dead witch she's not only really nearly dead she's really most sincerely sincerely dead yeah and I I, again in my sort of quest for puns constantly took that for my Twitter hashtag but I don't know if that's ever sort of sold or like been read or come across properly so well, yeah there it is it's, yeah it's just a nightmare all the way down with you Ed yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay yeah and uh, I was Reed McCarter for this last hour and I will continue to be at Reed McCarter uh, on Twitter where you can find me uh, hawking whatever words I spat out onto the internet Yep. I think that's I think that's it. I think that's it. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening everyone. We'll be back next time with Tomb Raider. <laughs>